Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Transition is everywhere, and this means there will be pivotal moments coming into our lives that will turn us around and set us in a whole new direction. Welcome to Move Forward. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Moss, and today I'm coming to you from Studio B. I am excited to tell you that I have with me a very special guest and my personal friend, Pastor Derek Chester Brown. Now, Apostle and Pastor Derek Chester Brown lived a life of utter chaos, and rebellion against God in his early teens. He was on a hellbound mission to destroy himself through alcohol and drugs until he had an encounter with the audible voice of God. From that moment on, his life was instantly changed, and he has aggressively served the Lord Jesus ever since. Formerly an electrical technician, Derek Chester Brown is now part of the apostolic team of New Covenant Ministries International, NCMI. He was ordained in 2010 and is currently the senior pastor of Lighthouse Church Secunda in South Africa. An evangelist at heart, Derek believes you must be born again, and he holds a deep conviction that God has not excluded anyone from his glorious plan, regardless of their past. His passion is to see a harvest come in through the display of his kingdom in authenticity. Christianity is so exciting, he likes to remind people. And quoting the movie Up, he'll say, adventure is out there. Derek is happily married to Heidi, the father of three children, and he recently has been inducted into the Hall of Grandfatherhood which I also know is so amazing. Welcome, Derek Chester Brown. I am so happy that you are with me today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's an absolute privilege to be with you. And uh, what, a, what a good intro. Thank you. Can I take this recording and use it in the future? <laughs> You're welcome. And yeah. happy, happy grandfatherhood. Isn't that the most amazing thing ever? It is. Everyone said to me it was going to be amazing, but uh, it's, it's way greater than I expected. Little guys are a lot of fun. It really is. I had the same kind of experience. Well, Derek, you are a visionary and prophetic leader. You lead pastors and people and leaders. And for many people, this would seem quite an extraordinary or ordinary thing. Just another person who went to church and decided to make ministry their job. But we know this is not ever really the truth of the matter. And my experience has actually been that um, often people will see me on the platform. They'll see me preaching. They'll see me ministering. And so they sort of they sort of think that I've had this happy life. I grew up a Christian and a happy Christian home. And I never had any trouble. And I never did anything outside of God's will. But of course, um, you and I know that's not really true, but you have answered a call of God. And for you, this really was an absolute miracle. And I would really like to, you to tell your story to the people who are listening. Would you tell us a story of your journey of faith and to calling? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, I, I grew up in this Christian household. My dad was a lay preacher and he was a, a police officer. So I grew up with my very authoritarian, very, very loving parents. So I, when I say I had good parents, I actually had great folk. They were loving and kind, and they, they did everything. The Proverbs 22.6, raise your child in the way they should go. They did really well. Uh, I, I was just a real brat. And, and from a really young age, I had found, I don't want to say Christianity, but 
church. Church is boring. It is filled with a bunch of hypocrites and uh, uh, pretty useless folk that uh, spent their lifetime speaking one language on a Sunday and then the rest of the time behaving in another way. So for me, there's a, I, th- I think my rebellion was birthed out of a whole lot of frustration. And so by the time I was four, nah, by the time I was 12, I was quite a heavy smoker really, but just cigarettes, nothing else. And by the time I was 14, I was quite a strong alcohol drinker. I'd have to take uh, little juice boxes of vodka with me to school. Else I'd start getting the shakes by, by recess. I'd, I'd be battling to make it through the day. And mm-hmm. just kind of my buddies and I doing it. And for us, it was quite normal. We were just a bit of binge drinkers on the weekend and having a bit of booze in the week. And so that, that is my life. And now it's, it's fine to say, well, he had a bit of a drinking problem and a bit of a smoker when he was at school. But for me, the biggest value that I carried was you needed to be wealthy. Money was really my God. I, uh, my emphasis on generating incredible wealth. When I was in high school, I had businesses and I, I made money. It was all illegal stuff, whether it was selling alcohol to underage kids or other. I, I had a porn rental industry, with, uh, sorry, business. Now, pornography was totally banned in South Africa when I was 15 years old, 14, 15 years old. And so I made friends with an exchange student from Thailand, where obviously pornography is not a problem. And I made friends with him and he brought porn back and I rented it out. And for, for me, it is anything to make money. And I, I always found that Christians were, they were so anti any fun, they were anti resource, they were anti everything. And, and I just think I was exposed to people. It's the wrong kind of people, maybe. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, a lot of them were nice people, but they were really uh, they're lackluster. And I wanted a life of adventure. Um, so I kind of made it through high school. Uh, wrapped it up, went to college for two weeks, then the dean, and I decided that is not for me. He decided I should leave, and I agreed with him. I think it's the only thing we agreed on. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I kind of, I, what had happened, so in, in high school, um, I, I was never a very big guy. Uh, I, was, I was a skinny kid. And uh, the... The one day I just, I kind of lost my temper with one of the kids and I, I tried to stab him. I had a pencil, stabbed him, missed his throat, got him in the cheek. And uh, from that day, I, I suddenly had this command over everyone. Everyone was a little bit weary of me and uh, that worked for me. Then we had some bully issues and so I got myself a gun. You know, like a normal 16-year-old does when you have some problems at school, you get yourself a gun and uh, I went and emptied a magazine shooting into a crowd of kids because I just thought maybe if I taught them a lesson, They'd, they'd stop bullying my friends and I, and it worked. Uh, it had a it had a great outcome. I'm, I'm not giving I'm not giving advice, but I'm just trying to shed some light on my my mindset, the way I, I view things, the way I get things done. Um, and I, it wasn't a Rambo mentality. It's just if I had frustration, I'd deal with it as as aggressively and uh, as quickly as I could. Left high school, like I said, college two weeks out, and I started working, and then I, I met my wife. So. Everything I'm going to tell you from this point onwards includes my wife. Um, we, we lived in a small town in the center of South Africa. And then we moved to the big city, Johannesburg, which I'm sure many of your viewers will be familiar with the name. Moved to Johannesburg to go for fame and fortune. Uh, not interested in fame, but just wanted the fortune. And, and life started off normal. Now, as a, as a raging alcoholic and a little bit violent, and I used to get into regular fights. and Just what a normal 18, 19-year-old boy does. And, and then things started shifting for us a little bit. We got married and we had our first daughter. Uh, 
and and something kind of clicked in me that I needed to make money. I needed to make money because I needed to provide for my child. And the whole time, having gone to church, hated church, renounced Jesus completely. By the time I was 16, I'd actually said to my parents and I'd verbally said to God, I don't need you. Um, And I, I prayed this prayer. Lord, if you give me everything that I want, I will consider serving you. Because I haven't called you, you've called me, which means you need me more than I need you. That's the level of arrogance I had. Wow. Uh, That's an amazing, that's an amazing statement, you know, and, and really, Derek, how did you, how did you really come to that? Because you, you felt that you mentioned earlier that you felt like there was a lot of hypocrites. And then you mentioned that there was in the church that there were there were some nice people but they lacked any uh, adventure and mm. they didn't like to have fun and um and then you were interested in gaining wealth and so you felt you you felt did you did you feel like god was real or because you actually said that to him so you must have thought maybe he was real you just didn't know mm. the god that we know now you yeah, do you understand what me, i'm asking like where were you at with it, I had enough faith to deny him. I, I, I could summon enough faith to be able to speak and I verbalized it and I allowed my parents to hear this and my dad, my mom were quite shocked. My dad said, you know, you're going to feel this in, in future. Um, so I didn't, I, I knew about God and this is a major problem that we have in our kids' ministries all over the world is that we teach our kids about Jesus as opposed to introducing him, our kids to Jesus. Because once you've met him, you can't deny him. That's why we have people that, you know, when, when they go and get stuff, they leave church. They, and that, because, because church is their God reference as opposed to Jesus being a reality to them. And you go to church. That church is a product of having a relationship with Jesus as opposed to trying to create a relationship with Jesus out of the product of going to church. And so for, for me, it is very, it was, I don't want to say it's fake. It is just pointless. So w- when I said to God, you give me everything I want, and then I'll consider serving you. Because I had grown up. My parents used to host a, a guy, and I'm sure you know his name, uh, Reinhard Bonke. And he would overnight at our place when he'd be going into Africa. And he laid hands on me, and he prophesied over me that one day I'd have a ministry, and I'd serve Jesus. And for me, I just looked at these old people and considered them wishful thinking, you know, wishful thinkers. They were just going to ramble on about stuff of what they hope I would one day do. Um, and so, like I said, by the time so I was So wait a minute. Seven- wait a minute. So Reinhard Bonnke laid his yeah. hands on you and prophesied over you. Yeah. Did you... Yeah. You thought it was wishful. Did you feel anything? So you didn't, you didn't, you know, so often we have an encounter with God in that moment. Someone lay hands on us and maybe we run from it, but we feel something. You didn't, you didn't experience anything in that moment. No, but I remember the moment because I thought, what a stupid name, Rhino. Which, <laughs> I, you know, in fact, we call it short fun rhinoceros. So, I mean, <laughs> why did his parents name him after a rhinoceros? That's all I could think about because that's obviously really young. And uh, it, it meant nothing to me. But I remember the moment. I do remember the yeah. moment. Um, Amazing. And yeah. <laughs> and so he, you know, he prophesied that I'd do something. And I just thought it was wishful thinking, just trying to convince me not to be the little uh, person I was. Get married, have, a, have our daughter. And suddenly I started on this really slippery slope. I started now, we speak about carjackings in South Africa and hijackings. They hijack trucks. The crime in South Africa is really quite wild. 
I got involved with syndicates that were stealing cars and stealing goods and stealing office equipment and stealing almost everything. And I was a fence. So I, I would I would move any product that was stolen, um, whether it was whether it was cars or um, ink cartridges for your printer. Uh, that, that is kind of what I, I specialized in. And that is my focus and that is my business. And and at the same time, I'd started dabbling in some drugs, but it was purely recreational stuff because I enjoyed fighting. And then I started with steroids because steroids made you a bit bigger and a little bit more aggressive. So I was a slightly better fighter and uh, getting into loads of street fights and pub fights. And um, it, it got out of hand because I thought a normal day would be to get really drunk, to get into a fight, a bit of road rage, getting out your car, punching in people's windows, um, getting assaulted. I... In a period of two years, I shot that seven times. Um, it, it was, and it, it would be so mundane for me. I'd phone my wife and I said, listen, I've just been in a shooting. I'm not injured, but I'll see you a little bit later. And, and for her, she'd be, okay, well, don't wake me up when you get home. So, you, you know, you pro I progressed from buying and selling stolen goods to all of a sudden, I'm a, I'm a gangster. And... Now I'm jumping a whole lot of a whole lot of uh, I'm jumping a whole lot of time in many years because what had happened was um, wrong crowds. You know, Sin loves company, and was hanging out with the really wrong people. I got into a lifestyle where, because money was my god, and started using drugs. I didn't want to spend money on drugs, so I said to the guys, "Look, I don't want to spend money on drugs. There must be a way that we can make this meth stuff. I've seen the movies that they have meth labs. Let's just start our own." And we were running stolen goods. We were, we were making money, also hurting people. But by this time, I'd gotten to be a bit bigger than most um, size-wise. And um, I'd become quite competent in, in fighting. So people would hire us to hurt other people or for debt collecting. And, and not writing lawyers' letters and going to an attorney to get it into court, but actually going to businessmen and hurting them um, so that they'd end up paying people the money that they owed them. And that is a normal day for us. So it is living on steroids, um, sniffing meth, and uh, drinking like a fish, bottle of Jack Daniels or Jim Bean every day. Uh, and, and because of the level of chaos that is in my life, um, my wife started bearing the brunt of that as well. And, and, and Doc, you've met Heidi. She's a, she's a small lady. And I, I, I'd gotten to a point where I was physically beating her. You know, the emotional chaos was obviously there from the start, emotional manipulation and uh, allowing to feel inadequate. Because if you can bring those around you down, you don't have to work that hard to uplift yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I, when I think back on situations where, I want to tell the story quickly. I'm 16 years old. And it sounds like I'm backtracking, but I want to, I want to fill you in to where my mind is. I'm 16 years old. I renounced God and I said, God, give me everything that I want and I'll consider serving you. I'd, I'd specified that I wanted a certain BMW. I wanted uh, holiday homes. I wanted a specific style house. Uh, I wanted motorbikes. I wanted to be racing on uh, you know, motorcycle racing tracks. That's the kind of stuff I wanted to do. And the deal was that I wanted it by 30. If you'd give me everything by the time I was 30, then I'd surrender. By the time I was 29, I had all that. Um, we had we had incredible wealth. The resources were, yeah, it was all there. And I remember sitting, I was sitting in this BM that I'd always wanted, and I was high as a kite, and drunk as well. And I, I had this, I had forgotten about this deal. 
And I'm sitting, I'm looking at my house and I'm looking at my motorbikes. And I, I just come from the track the week before where I'd been racing uh, superbikes. And suddenly I, I realized the deal I'd made. Oh my gosh. God had listened to me. Um, and then I got. Wow. I so back. in that moment, so, so in that moment, you, even though you had done all the stealing and the, the bad things, right. To, to get to this mm. place, you had this moment where you realized that God allowed you to have all of these things, even though it was by um, uh, sinful means, let's say, but yeah, he allowed you, he allowed you to have all of these things that what an incredible moment were you, you, so did you feel, did you feel in that moment? Was that one of your pivotal moments? No, not at all. Because I sat in that moment. I thought, oh, that's a cool memory. And then I just looked at it and I thought, man, I've really worked hard for this. I've put my shoulder to the grindstone. I've put in the effort and I've earned this and I've done this. And I've, you know, I was working 18 hours a day every day. I was a workaholic. And you know, sometimes we have busyness as a badge of honor as opposed to busyness is possibly just put time management. And... And I'm sitting in the car and I have this, and I know there's the Holy Spirit now that is reminding me, but I, I refuse to see it because I've grown such a hatred for church. Um, my, my mom uh, loved Jesus and would always want to take my daughters to, to church. And I'd refuse. I, there was not a chance that you would take my children to that institution that brainwashes you to believe in a Jew that we've never met and I don't believe even existed. And then when things go well, we give him credit. And then when things don't go well, then we blame some other fictitious character that everyone wants to call Satan or the devil. And I'd, I'd sit with my kids and, and I'd, I'd explain to them. The little one was too young to remember, but my oldest one, she remembers. I'd sit to her and say, if life is good, it's because you've worked hard. And if it's difficult, it's because you're an idiot and you haven't made the correct choices. And if you work hard and put your head down, you'll have good things and good luck will come your way. But there is no God. There's no one coming to save you. You're on your own. And don't wait for a savior. I said, and I'll, I'll explain to my kids. It's these weak Christians that are waiting for a savior because they're too useless to do anything themselves. And, and my mom would beg me to, for, for to take my kids to church. And I'd just say to you know, I don't go to the Jew's house and the Jew doesn't come to my house. That's the understanding we have. Uh, I, I would phone up pastors in the area and, and just curse them and swear at them. I had such a hatred for this church. I, I had a hatred for a God I didn't believe existed, but if he did exist, I didn't like him. It, it's, it's just that you, 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 it takes so much faith to be an atheist. It's almost impossible. And because the problem is, is when you don't have your identity in Christ, you can't like yourself. And we know that our instruction is to love others as we love ourselves. So when we have a warped perception of who we are and we don't have an identity, we hate everyone. And I'd grown to hate myself. Um, the amount of chemicals I was putting in my body, I was sleeping twice a week. Um, Sundays, Sunday nights and Thursday nights were the only nights I slept. The rest of the time I was in nightclubs, I was selling drugs, I was fighting, I was hurting people. Um, I, was a, I was a hateful man. By this stage, um, I was 29 years old. Um, Heidi had fallen out of love with me completely. She had no time for me. It, it was, she believed she had wasted 10 years of her life with me. We had two daughters. And it was just, it was chaos. It was constant fighting. It was constant mayhem. It was people through our house all the time. Uh, the, the, the drug labs took its toll. I used to end up hallucinating because the, the chemicals that you cook off the drugs are worse than what you're selling to people. 
Um, and when, you, when you're dealing with that level of hate, uh, you just hate everyone. So you wake up and you, you're angry. You, you go to bed and you're angry. Uh, and and I, I was a horrible dad. I, I loved my kids, but you know, for me, I was just a disciplinarian. And if my children wanted stuff, I'd give them stuff. They, they never got me. If, if my wife wanted stuff, I'd give her stuff. I'd give her the credit card. And when people are battling financially, it sounds like that's a great thing. But it, it wasn't. And she had gotten to the point where she had decided that she's going to divorce me. And I'd, I'd often say to Heidi, I'd say, you know, a divorce costs a lot of money, but a funeral is almost for free if you've got the right policies. And uh, I'd walk around the house and I'd put a gun in her mouth and threaten to pull the trigger. And, and she knew my contacts. I worked extensively with the underground, um, you know, the criminal underworld, that I, I could have gotten away with that. I could have killed her and gotten away with it. And that is the mindset that I had. And that is the, I, I shared with her often. I'd say to you, you know who I am. You know what I'm capable of. Um, and the day that you betray me or leave me, I'll kill you. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's I, okay. <laughs> I, I have been sharing my testimony. For 15 years and I have never made it past this point without being actually I don't want to say confused because I'm not a person of confusion but it still it still gets me why he bothered saving me why he bothered saving me it's it's a uh, it's crazy because I, I hated Christians I, I, I despised you guys on a level um it was it was homicidal, and so no one could ever witness to me. I had I had no I had no time. My sister was born again. Was she still born again? And uh, she'd pray for me, and she'd tell me she'd be praying for me, and I, I'd tell her what she can do with her prayers and her Bible and her Jesus. Um, so there was nobody that could there's nobody who could witness to me. There's nobody that could approach me, mm. and and I knew enough scripture just to be able to hurt Christians and keep them quiet. And, and then one day I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my bedroom and my plan was to, to sell my house, raise money and to open up a rehab. The, the idea of having a rehab would be that I could then get new clients. I could take the last bit of money off the parents that they still had to help the child. And then uh, I could develop the network uh, of more clients because I'd be able to find out who their dealers are and I could, I could sell more. And I was sitting in my room. I hadn't used drugs for two weeks, which was unusual because I was, for those of you that have ever used drugs, I was using 12 to 15 grams of meth a day. Um, three, three grams of meth for a weekend is a good party. So I was using 12 to 15 grams a day. I'd gotten my wife addicted to it. Um, after the birth of our second child, I told her she was fat and that she needed to lose weight. Uh, I could just break her down enough so that she could join the party with me because Sin loves company. And I was sitting in my room. I hadn't had alcohol in a week. I hadn't used drugs in two weeks. And I was sitting in my room. No one was around me. And I hear an audible voice. And uh, in, in a moment, I know it's Jesus. No doubt. And people often ask me, how do you know it's Jesus? Because when the creator of the universe steps into your room and says this, it's time to shut up and start listening. You, you don't ask for his bio. You don't ask for his business card. You know exactly who he is. I'd, I'd never felt so much authority and love all, all wrapped up in, in one 
statement. And he was in the room. Uh, I actually hurt my neck as I, I spun around uh, to see who was in my room. I panicked. Um, I, I had a few attempts on my life by the stage. And uh, so I wondered who was in my house. And, you know, in that second, I knew who he was. I knew what had happened. I repented in an instant. It was a, I'm so sorry for everything. Um, I, I was weeping. I, I walked out the room. Uh, I, you know, I staggered into the lounge. Haiti thought I was having a meltdown because ever so often you know, I did too many nights without sleep. Um, my mind would do almost a reset. I'd, I wouldn't know where I was. I'd be slightly delirious. And then that would be gun in the mouth, slapping her around. Um, and and I'm, I was, I'm a trained fighter, so I knew where to hit her, that the marks wouldn't show. She'd run to my dad, telling my dad that uh, his son is beating her. And, but I hit her in places where she couldn't show my dad how diabolical I was. And I, I walked through to the lounge area with the, the family where my, my wife and two daughters are sitting, and I'm crying, and she panics. This was a Friday morning in January in 2007, and I, I'm weeping, and she says, what now? And I go, we've got to go to church. I've got to find Jesus. So she starts crying. When God, when I had this encounter with God, within, within six weeks, my cars were repossessed. My motorbikes were repossessed. I, I had equipment at my home that the sheriff of the court came and they repossessed. It didn't even belong to me. I had a, a camping trailer that was repossessed. I had my, my house. Um, I was declared bankrupt uh, and I lost everything. And it, this is just, sorry, this is six weeks prior to me having this encounter, not after. It was just prior. And it is, it's as though God had said, I can give you the absolute desires of your heart, but you first seek me. You first make me a priority. He, I, I believe God was showing me that he's not a God whose arms are too short to bless his children, but the value that we carry with God blessing us must be, we need to value him as a dad and not as a genie. So I have this moment, back to the moment. I, I have this moment where I'm sitting in my room. I'm stone cold sober. He speaks to me audibly. He says to me, it's time to shut up and start listening. It'd be great if he had said, you know, if he had the angels singing, holy, 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 and Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb. But that's not a language I would have understood. It needed to be firm with me. It needed to be a bit uh, confrontational with me because that's the, that's the nature that I understood. It's not just the nature of God. It's but what I understood. And he spoke my language. I staggered through to the lounge where my family is sitting. And I'm weeping. And, and Haiti, my wife, is freaking out because I, I'd had these meltdowns. Um, and then I'd do atrocious things where I was putting a gun against her head, put a gun in her mouth. Do you know, in all the times that I, I was abusive towards my wife, she never told anyone and she never badmouthed me. She'd tell people we are going through a tough time, but she never once slandered me. This woman, this amazing woman that stuck with me through all of this, never ever dishonored me. Uh, and, and it allowed for us to have such, for us, restoration was so easy because of her level of honor. She never ever had to say sorry to me for anything that she had done over that time, which when, when you're the transgressor, and I was an absolute narcissist, I'd always want to turn to things and make it her fault. And I couldn't do that. When we have this encounter with Jesus, Jesus speaks to me, I walk into the lounge, she's crying, I'm crying. This is a Friday morning in January 2007. And she says to me, what happened? I said, God just spoke to me. Jesus just spoke to me. He's in the room. And, I, and she's crying. And I ask her, why are you crying? She had told my kids the Thursday afternoon. She said to my girls, she said, there's a good chance dad will leave us because I hated Christians in church so much. And she said to my girls, there's a good chance dad will leave us. But this Sunday, 
the three of us, we're going to go to church. We need to find God. So God wow. calls them in, calls me out within 24 Crazy. hours. And she wasn't saved. My kids didn't know who Jesus was. Um, I wouldn't let my kids celebrate Christmas. I'd give them year-end presents. I said, the celebrating of some guy that is born, it's absolute rubbish. It's a 2,000-year-old uh, superstition. I don't throw salt over my shoulder. I don't celebrate Christmas. That was the, the level that I hated anything that is Christ-related. That Sunday, we went to church. I couldn't go to any of the local churches because I had... I was a little bit concerned that they'd recognize my voice from all the opportunities I'd taken to swear at them over the telephone or curse them. But in reality, is I, I kind of wanted to go to my sister's church. Uh, I never had a good relationship with her because she was a Christian. And I wanted to go to her church because if it was good enough for her, I reckon I could make it there as well. And I remember I was going to church as a family. And uh, look, I was very suspicious of everyone. I was a professional gangster. I ran under a different name just to hide. So when I walk in there, everyone's greeting me, asking me my name, and I'm getting really agitated because I, I'm barely a new creation. I'm still smelling like hellfire. And I remember sitting in church. It was a big church. I had no idea what they preached. They could have read a cake recipe for like that. When they said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, my hand shot up, my wife's hand shot up, and my kids just sat there, both of them. My oldest one said, I want to see if this is real which I appreciated. You know, she's a thinker as well. My little one, she's too small. We gave our lives to Jesus. And then over the next six months, we lost everything. We lost our home. We lost our vehicles. We had uh, everything that we owned was repossessed. It was, um, we were going to be put out on the street because what had happened was I refused to pay the government tax. I believe the government was a bunch of thieves. Uh, our government, which the, in South Africa, we, we had always been, uh, it was the racial segregation with apartheid. Uh, we have a, a government in power now that is they're black, and I refuse to pay a black government any money out of a principle because I'm white, they're black, and I wouldn't do it because obviously racism is a demon, it's a spirit. So now I get saved, and all of a sudden, I haven't paid taxes in years, I haven't paid uh, property tax, I haven't paid my utility accounts. And we spent six months living in a house that the bank had repossessed and we had no electricity and we had no water running to the house. We had a trickle. Uh, I think they gave us about 10 gallons a day. That's what you'd be allowed. That's the minimum requirement that they have to give you a day. And we lived like that. We had gone from a position of incredible wealth, um, money to burn, but money was my God. And when we had given our lives to Jesus, he stripped us of everything that I'd made a God. Mm. Uh, we, we had no electricity. We'd sit, my little, my, my little Leah, uh, who's not so little anymore, she's turning 18 in two months. She had started to believe that you have to blow out lights because we only had candles. We never had money for lamps even. We had candles. And over these six months, it was a fascinating thing. We, we consumed the word. We'd sit every day as a family. I had nothing else to do. I had no income. I had no job. A church from another city, which we had never attended, would come and drop food off, and they'd feed us. And it hammered the pride out of me. You know, the first month, it was very difficult, and I didn't really want it. I wanted God to provide differently. I wanted him just to put money in my bank account. And it didn't work that way. They'd come and drop off food, and for six months, they looked after us that way. In that time, God gave us jobs. Uh, he got my, I mean, I had to get my kids back into school. I wouldn't send them to school. Uh, they had kind of been staying at home for quite a few months. But I, I have a Bible that is sealed closed by candle wax. 
you can't open it. It's totally sealed because I'd sit at night and just read the word. I, I was consumed by the word because I'd met the author. <laughs> and uh, I'd hunched over at night with a candle uh, with the wax dripping uh, onto the pages and it didn't phase me. And, you know, and, I, and I, I remember we read about tithing. I loved reading about the law because I'd come from this just absolute lawlessness. And I thought, fantastic, set out the parameters to, to which I must live. Uh, and uh, obviously I understood the grace. But I remember reading in Malachi about tithing. It excited me because um, people had dropped off 18 potatoes. And I said to Haiti, I said, we've got to give two potatoes to the church. That's the tithe. And the, the next time we went to church, I took two potatoes and I went down, I gave it to the pastors. I said, here's my tithe. And it was in a very affluent area. It was very wealthy. Uh, they, they'd never had fresh produce brought to the church, let alone just two potatoes. And they kind of dismissed it. And, and I said, don't dismiss it. This is my tithe. This is literally all I have. It's all I have to eat. I'm going to tithe on it. And it was a principle we introduced. Um, and then I couldn't give them 1.8 potatoes. I gave them two potatoes. And I said to my wife, we're even more generous than just 10%. We, we are givers now. We're not takers. And I'd, I'd been saved three months. And we, we went and lived with my sister because we lost our home. We lost everything. Uh, I, I, I'll write it in the book one day. But we were, given, <laughs> we were given motor vehicles. I was given two cars by people that don't believe in God. But apparently they heard I was a man of God all of a sudden. And they just wanted to bless us. I walked out of a life of crime and depravity with no consequences. I never had, there, was, there were no repercussions as far as um, gang retaliation or, and I knew a lot of things. And there, there are consequences, you know, there's no condemnation in Christ, but there are consequences. Uh, credit yes. record goes, you can't buy anything, we lost everything. But it, the Lord did this, He took away my earthly God, the desire for stuff, wealth, materials, stuff. He took that away because he just took everything away. And in that, where we had, we had nothing, I, I'd look around at night and I had everything that I needed. Um, I had my family. My wife was still with me through all of this. Yeah. 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 I, I remember, sorry, I don't know if you want to ask me any questions. but I do. I, remember, I have a million. <laughs> Go ahead. I you remember. Say, and then I'm going to ask I'll you say, a question. I had been saved for three months and I went to the pastors and I said, all right, fast track me. I'm not destined just to warm chairs in a church. I'm destined to lead something or do something. So that's your responsibility. You're a leader. You're a bunch of leaders. So lead me. And I didn't quite know what to do. I was disciplined by the lead pastor quite often. Well, his team that called me in because I'd misbehave or I'd get into fights uh, at church. Um, I was... I was justified, but the sanctification process was a little bit slower. And they, they fast-tracked me. They invested in my life. And, you know, if you're watching this and you know there's a call of God or call of God on your life for leadership, don't wait. Go and press in. Go and find good leaders and make them work for it. Make them, make them push you wherever you, you'll allow them. Uh, good leaders will set you on the right track. But please, Doc, ask me some questions. <laughs> Well, Derek, I what the thing I'm wondering is last week you told us that uh, Reinhard Bonnke laid hands on you and prophesied over you. So mm. how did you know that you were called? Like, when did you know that you were called to the ministry as a full-time leader, as an apostolic leader to, to be over? I mean, how did you know that? And 
I really want to know, like, when did you meet the Holy Spirit? Because I know you are a very charismatic man. Uh, it, it's, it's a good question. <laughs> as, uh, I was about 19 years old. I was sitting with my, my she was my girlfriend then, my wife now, but girlfriend then. We had had about a bottle of brandy. I'd had most of it. She had maybe two drinks and I'd finished the rest. And so I was, I was properly marinated. And I, I sat in my car and I said to Haiti, I said, listen, I'm just letting you know I'm called to be a pastor one day. And I was just mocking. I was mocking the prophetic word over my life. And, and she said to me, well, you better start dating someone else because I don't play the church organ. And, and we had a good laugh. <laughs> um, and when, when the Lord spoke to me in that instant, by the time we went to church on that Sunday, I said to her, that was serious. That was a, I had prophetic words over my life. She didn't know what the prophetic was. I said, the people that have spoken in my life, people that have heard God, and this is what we'll pursue. I'm not called just to go to church. I'm not called to, I'm called to live a normal Christian life, which means you're radically on fire telling everyone about Jesus. Um, and um, meeting the Holy Spirit, it, it was that day when, when Jesus spoke to me in an instant. You, you know, I never, I never craved drugs again. I never craved alcohol. I haven't had a drink in 15 years. I, I, it's just not something. It took a month. Um, and I didn't want to stop smoking. I really enjoyed smoking. And I just one day, after, after a month of being saved, I said to God, if, if you want me to stop, because my smoking will limit you in being able to use me, then you stop me. And two days later, I forgot to smoke. And I was on 40 a day. I just <laughs> didn't ever think of cigarettes again. So it was in that moment. And, and then we, we put up our hand for everything. We were in quite a big church. And wherever there was a need, we did it. We went, I got into kids' ministry. I was on door duty. I'd serve coffee. And it wasn't out of a, a sense of having to earn my salvation. But I really had this understanding. I need to invest my life into this. It's worth it. Uh, and that's because people want the Holy Spirit moments, but they don't want to work out their calling in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will stir you to good works. And whether it's serving coffee or on door duty or visiting visitors, or that's the Holy Spirit working in you already. Uh, and, and the more you do, the more you hear His voice. Um, but I, I was consumed by, by scripture. I'd listen to four hours of teachings every morning. I'd get up at three o'clock every morning. And for three hours, I'd listen to teachings by great theologians. Uh, I got into uh, theological school. I studied. Um, and I knew that he'd give, if, if Jesus was willing to give that much, there must be something in return. There's got to be something more for us. And, uh, you know, you, you say, well, I'm charismatic. I just... I really have a, a passion that uh, if, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to help. This is not a camp that we're trying to recruit people to go for in a camp. This is real. Uh, it's real. Yeah. It's real. What, when, did you, when did you know it was time? How did you know it was time to be the leader of your own church? Was that a was that a pivotal moment in your life? How did that how did that come about? Because I know that you you well you are a senior pastor of a of an amazing church in Secunda, the Light, Lighthouse Church, and um, and your people are on fire and and you have a large church, but but it didn't start out that way. And at some point, you had to know through this process, it's time for me now to take the lead. Yeah. Uh, so after six months of being saved, I went to my pastors and I said, this is the slowest I've ever, ever 
uh, encountered anything move. Um, God creates the universe in six days, and they take more than six months to release me into leading a church. Um, for me, I thought they were wasting time. And I'd gotten to a point where I'd wanted to stop going to church. Uh, I just wasn't, I wasn't finding what I wanted there. Until God spoke to me and he said, if you don't learn to give you all, I can't give you anything more. Because I was going to church to see what I could get. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, you have to go to church with the intention to go there to see what you can give. Mm. So about a, a year in, the Lord really said to me, you have to learn. I, I can't. I, Kim, I, it's not that I'm rebellious, but when people, I can't take advice from people if I don't see them running miles ahead of me. And so I'd spent time with leaders and I'd expect them to take me with on a journey. And I realized that actually they were just leaning on the Holy Spirit. There was no formula. So I'd lean on the Holy Spirit and I'd nag him every single day. Lord, I want to lead a church. I know I'm called to more. I'd just nag and nag and nag. Uh, and after two and a half years, we uh, there was this church in Secunda. And they were going to close it down or they weren't too sure what they're going to do. They needed a, somebody to come take over. They approached the church that we were attending. And I was, I was at my wit's end. I was so frustrated. I just, I needed more. Uh, we used to go and evangelize on the streets in really dangerous, you know, South Africa is dangerous, but we used to go find the dangerous parts in Johannesburg. Um, <laughs> Friday night at midnight, to go minister to um, the drug lords and that. I really, I, I had a desire to die for Jesus. And mm. the, and the one day God said to me, look, I don't need you dead. If I wanted you dead, I wouldn't have, you know, <laughs> around. So you've got work to do. And, and then right. this church, I just, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit intense. So this church had approached our church. And when Hayden and I heard it, that there's an opportunity just to go and serve. And it meant, even if you're going to lead a prayer meeting. Now, it might not seem that way, but I'm actually a very sharp person. I never prayed out loud at a prayer meeting until I went and led my first prayer meeting at this little church that had 25 people left in it. And they'd said to me, look, can you go through on a Wednesday afternoon? Um, it's about an 80-mile journey. Can you go through on a Wednesday afternoon and just go lead a prayer meeting? I went, of course I can do it. And we drove. I, I asked Haley to drive through because I had to prepare a prayer that I could pray. I didn't know what to do. And so we came through. Uh, it, it, it was amazing. I, mean, I led a prayer meeting, and I thought there was revival. There was eight people, and that's because I took five people with me. And... <laughs> It, we, we really thought we were like punching in the gates of hell and populating heaven. And, and then they said to me, well, can you preach? I said, I can preach because it doesn't matter what you ask me, I'll give it a shot. And they said, right, you're going to be on the preaching team. You're going to preach once a month. I said, fantastic. And once a month we'd come through and then we made a whole lot of friends. And I, I just said, Lord, give me this. Give, I, I don't need something big, but give me a seed. Because this is the thing. We... We want to be able to get away with mustard seed faith. But we never trust God when he gives us a mustard seed to grow. <laughs> and I, I said, Lord, if, 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 if you work with mustard seeds, give me something small and, and trust me and lead me. And uh, four months later, I went and said to the leaders, I said, I feel this is us. They said, you do know that the church is bankrupt. They haven't paid, paid the previous pastor for three months. They haven't paid the rent for, I think, six months. And I said, that's fine. My wife and I have, we'll quit our jobs and we'll go full-time. And they said, well, that's crazy. And I said, well, when I was a drug dealer and a drug addict, God provided for my every need. I don't think he would drop me now. And uh, we moved in faith. Three months later, that's we amazing. moved and we have, we have not looked back. 
<laughs> wow, what a story. It's amazing. I We have about five minutes left. And what I really want to know from you, um, because I know that you are, you also have prophetic insight and that you see the church in a bigger picture. So I would really like to know, um, what do you see for your nation? What do you see for the church at large ahead in this time? And what would you say to us regarding what you see? Is there something that you would want the people to know? We have we have viewers from several continents that are watching us right now. Yeah, you know, the, the church is the most powerful organization in the, in the universe. Um, and if I look at our own country, True racial reconciliation only takes place in the church. There's no racial reconciliation within political arenas. There's no racial reconciliation within businesses. It only takes place in church. So wherever there's been segregation, and we have an, we're a nation that is known for that, we're seeing God change people in incredible ways purely because the word says where there's unity, he commands a blessing. And it's not unity with just those that we get on with. It's those from different races, different creeds, different tribes, nations. We know that. Um, so what I'm seeing in the church is churches that are embracing a diversity. Um, they sing, they sing breakthrough. We sing it in our own church. We sing it in churches that we minister into from here to Holland, uh, Swaziland, Zimbabwe. It's we sing where you, where people are going. We're actually going to allow everyone in. It's not about your uh, your status. It's not about your wealth or your your skin color. There's something to be said about letting everyone come in to celebrate what God's doing in our lives. Um, for me, that's a big thing. Uh, Maybe it's just because, you know, within South Africa, because of the segregation that we, we're still having to deal with. But I think it's in quite a few countries. For me, it's that uh, the church, the church is the machine to see that happen and to see that take place. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Would you, would you pray for those who have been listening to your story? And um, in particular, would you pray for uh, women who are experiencing abuse in their houses? And then secondly, would you please pray for the church and for our unity for this upcoming uh, season that we're living in? That is challenging right now. Yeah. If I, if I, I'd love to pray. If I can just say this. We, I remember the song we used to sing when we were in Sunday school, the Sunday school that I hated. But it was a, they'd sing in a, read your Bible, pray every day and you will grow, grow, grow. And I believe that's what churches need to start doing again. We need to get back to reading our Bible. Families need to get back to reading our Bible and pray. Just basic disciplines is, is what's going to see a major shift come. But um, let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, I, I pray for every woman and every family that are suffering because of a husband who's misbehaving. Lord, I pray that there will be a grace on their lives and there will be favor and mercy for them to hang in there, to be tenacious and not to quit, Lord. Lord, I, I pray that you will be blessed in, Lord, with, um, Lord, I speak leather backs over them, that they'll, they won't buckle under the weight. Lord, I pray for churches that are, are, are battling because of families that are being dissolved because of the chaos that's been caused there. And I ask, Lord God, that you'll give church leaders wisdom to be able to take people like me and use them in, in incredible ways. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I agree with you. I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. And I want to also say that um, I agree with you. I 
I have been hearing from the Lord lately that one of the things that the Lord is doing in the church is calling us back to the word of God and to the first things that we did in the beginning when we first became Christians. Evangelism is going to just be on the rise and there is a great harvest to win right now. And we really more than ever have to be about the father's business when it comes to the lost and the broken. And so thank you so much, Derek, for being with me today. I'm, I'm so grateful for your story and I'm grateful for your friendship. And I will be so happy to meet you in South Africa again sometime. And um, so bless you and bless Lighthouse Church. Thank you so much for giving us your time. That's it for today. We're so glad you could spend this time with us today. See you next week. And remember, never throw away your confidence. Keep moving forward. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward Podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward.